0: This episode is brought to you by BunnySlippers.com. Stay calm with BunnySlippers.com. You know what will help? Retail therapy. Why not buy some Highland Cow Slippers from BunnySlippers.com? These woolly bulls will keep your feet feeling snug and, well, looking damn cool. I have to highly recommend them. Excuse the darn out there, you know. This is a family show, or at least... This portion of the Feed as a Family show. This is Black Clock Audio Tales, and I am your host, D.B. Spitzer. We're going to be going with the third book of the Oz series, second book to have Dorothy. And uh, you might recognize some of this if if you've watched Return to Oz. You'll recognize some elements of this movie. And just to let you know, we're going to have some other stuff going on this month. We're going to have some Dave's Underground Goat shenanigans. Of course, we have articulate warbling all the time zach and laura are currently reviewing i believe it's a quiet place so you can check that out if uh, you want to listen to some british people talk about a quiet place You can always find out more about what's going on with PGTTCM by going to PGTTCM.com. Checking out our back catalog, you can go there to find out what's going on with Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans, any of Dave's other corner of the podcast stuff, things I do with Ken Height, stuff that happens with Zach and Laura with Articulate Warbling, this show, of course, Black Clock Audio Tales. Find out what's going to be happening in the upcoming months, and of course... People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, the whole reason any of this even started. My show about the Cthulhu Mythos, where I generally have folks like David Heath or Ken Hyde or some other folk come on and talk about whatever it is we're talking about. And I believe we're talking about Alvea and uh, some Clark Ashton Smith uh, this month in... Um, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. And of course, this month, we're talking about Frank Elbaum. Is that it? Yeah. Anyway, uh, we're talking about him and the Oz stories. We don't have any people going, hey, I'll talk about the Oz. If you want to talk about Oz books, if you are an Oz expert, if you love Oz so much, if you want to be like, hey, can I talk to you about the differences between the books and the movies? Like, hey, sure, send me something. So, you know, uh, and how do you send me something? Go to PGTTCM.com and... Go to the contact us. And remember, if you want to let people know about this show, go to the interwebs, uh, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you do, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Black Clock Audio Tales, PGTTCM. Here's some. Book 3 uh, Ozma of Oz.
1: Recording by Phil Chenevere. Ozma of Oz by L. Frank Baum. THE GIRL IN THE CHICKEN coop. The wind blew hard and joggled the water of the ocean, sending ripples across its surface. Then the wind pushed the edges of the ripples until they became waves, and shoved the waves around until they became billows. The billows rolled dreadfully high, higher even than the tops of houses. Some of them, indeed, rolled as high as the tops of tall trees, and seemed like mountains and the gulfs between the great billows were like deep valleys. All this mad dashing and splashing of the waters of the big ocean, which the mischievous wind caused without any good reason whatever, resulted in a terrible storm. And a storm on the ocean is liable to cut many queer pranks and do a lot of damage. At the time the wind began to blow, a ship was sailing far out upon the waters. When the waves began to tumble and toss and to grow bigger and bigger, the ship rolled up and down and tipped sideways, first one way and then the other, and was jostled around so roughly that even the sailor men had to hold fast to the ropes and railings to keep themselves from being swept away by the wind or pitched headlong into the sea. And the clouds were so thick in the sky that the sunlight couldn't get through them, so that the day grew dark as night which added to the terrors of the storm. The captain of the ship was not afraid, because he had seen storms before and had sailed his ship through them in safety, but he knew that his passengers would be in danger if they tried to stay on deck, so he put them all into the cabin and told them to stay there until after the storm was over, and to keep brave hearts and not be scared, and all would be well with them. Now among these passengers was a little Kansas girl named Dorothy Gale, who was going with her Uncle Henry to Australia to visit some relatives they had never before seen. Uncle Henry, you must know, was not very well, because he had been working so hard on his Kansas farm that his health had given way and left him weak and nervous. So he left Aunt Em at home to watch after the hired men and to take care of the farm while he traveled far away to Australia to visit his cousins and have a good rest. Dorothy was eager to go with him on this journey, and Uncle Henry thought she would be good company and help cheer him up. So he decided to take her along. The little girl was quite an experienced traveler, for she had once been carried by a cyclone as far away from home as the marvelous Land of Oz and she had met with a good many adventures in that strange country before she managed to get back to Kansas again. So she wasn't easily frightened, whatever happened. And when the wind began to howl and whistle, and the waves began to tumble and toss, our little girl didn't mind the uproar the least bit. Of course we'll have to stay in the cabin, she said to Uncle Henry and the other passengers, and keep as quiet as possible until the storm is over for the captain says, if we go on deck we may be blown overboard." No one wanted to risk such an accident as that, you may be sure. So all the passengers stayed huddled up in the dark cabin, listening to the shrieking of the storm and the creaking of the masts and rigging, and trying to keep from bumping into one another when the ship tipped sideways. Dorothy had almost fallen asleep when she was roused with a start to find that Uncle Henry was missing. She couldn't imagine where he had gone, and as he was not very strong she began to worry about him, and to fear he might have been careless enough to go on deck. In that case he would be in great danger unless he instantly came down again. The fact was that Uncle Henry had gone to lie down in his little sleeping berth, but Dorothy did not know that. She only remembered that Aunt Em had cautioned her to take good care of her uncle, so at once she decided to go on deck and find him, in spite of the fact that the tempest was now worse than ever, and the ship was plunging in a really dreadful manner. Indeed the little girl found it was as much as she could do to mount the stairs to the deck, and as soon as she got there the wind struck her so fiercely that it almost tore away the skirts of her dress. Yet Dorothy felt a sort of joyous excitement in defying the storm, and while she held fast to the railing she peered around through the gloom, and thought she saw the dim form of a man clinging to a mask not far away from her. This might be her uncle. So she called as loudly as she could, Uncle Henry, Uncle Henry. But the wind screeched and howled so madly that she scarce heard her own voice and the man certainly failed to hear her, for he did not move. Dorothy decided she must go to him, so she made a dash forward during a lull in the storm to where a big square chicken coop had been lashed to the deck with ropes. She reached this place in safety, but no sooner had she seized fast hold of the slats of the big box in which the chickens were kept than the wind, as if enraged because the little girl dared to resist its power, suddenly redoubled its fury. With a scream like that of an angry giant, it tore away the ropes that held the coop, and lifted it high into the air, with Dorothy still clinging to the slats. Around and over it whirled this way and that, and a few moments later the chicken coop dropped far away into the sea, where the big waves caught it, and slid it uphill to a foaming crest, and then downhill into a deep valley as if it were nothing more than a plaything to keep them amused. Dorothy had a good ducking, you may be sure, but she didn't lose her presence of mind even for a second. She kept tight hold of the stout slats, and as soon as she could get the water out of her eyes, she saw that the wind had ripped the cover from the coop, and the poor chickens were fluttering away in every direction, being blown by the wind until they looked like feather dusters without handles. The bottom of the coop was made of thick boards, so Dorothy found she was clinging to a sort of raft with sides of slats, which readily bore up her weight. After coughing the water out of her throat and getting her breath again, she managed to climb over the slats and stand upon the firm wooden bottom of the coop, which supported her easily enough. Why, I've got a ship of my own, she thought, more amused than frightened at her sudden change of condition. And then, as the coop climbed up to the top of a big wave, she looked eagerly around for the ship from which she had been blown. It was far, far away by this time. Perhaps no one on board had yet missed her, or knew of her strange adventure. Down into the valley between the waves the coop swept her, and when she climbed another crest, the ship looked like a toy boat. It was such a long way off. Soon it had entirely disappeared in the gloom, and then Dorothy gave a sigh of regret at parting with Uncle Henry, and began to wonder what was going to happen to her next. Just now she was tossing on the bosom of a big ocean, with nothing to keep her afloat but a miserable wooden hen-coop that had a plank bottom and slatted sides, through which the water constantly splashed and wetted her through to the skin and there was nothing to eat when she became hungry, as she was sure to do before long, and no fresh water to drink and no dry clothes to put on. Well, I declare," she exclaimed with a laugh, you're in a pretty fix, Dorothy Gale, I can tell you, and I haven't the least idea how you're going to get out of it. As if to add to her troubles, the night was now creeping on and the gray clouds overhead changed to inky blackness. But the wind, as if satisfied at last with its mischievous pranks, stopped blowing this ocean and hurried away to another part of the world to blow something else, so that the waves, not being joggled any more, began to quiet down and behave themselves. It was lucky for Dorothy, I think, that the storm subsided. Otherwise brave though she was, I fear she might have perished. Many children in her place would have wept and given way to despair, But because Dorothy had encountered so many adventures, and come safely through them, it did not occur to her at this time to be especially afraid. She was wet and uncomfortable, it is true. But after sighing that one sigh I told you of, she managed to recall some of her customary cheerfulness, and decided to patiently await whatever her fate might be. By and by the black clouds rolled away and showed a blue sky overhead, with the silver moon shining sweetly in the middle of it, and little stars winking merrily at Dorothy when she looked their way. The coop did not toss around any more, and rode the waves more gently, almost like a cradle rocking, so that the floor upon which Dorothy stood was no longer swept by water coming through the slats. Seeing this, and being quite exhausted by the excitement of the past few hours, the little girl decided that sleep would be the best thing to restore her strength, and the easiest way in which she could pass the time. The floor was damp, and she was herself wringing wet, but fortunately this was a warm climate, and she did not feel at all cold. So she sat down in a corner of the coop, leaned her back against the slats, Nodded at the friendly stars before she closed her eyes, and was asleep in half a minute. End of chapter 1 THE YELLOW HEN A strange noise awoke Dorothy, who opened her eyes to find that day had dawned, and the sun was shining brightly in a clear sky. She had been dreaming that she was back in Kansas again, and playing in the old barnyard with the calves and pigs and chickens all around her, and at first, as she rubbed the sleep from her eyes, she really imagined she was there. Ah, here again was the strange noise that had awakened her. Surely it was a hen cackling. But her wide-open eyes first saw through the slats of the coop the blue waves of the ocean, now calm and placid, and her thoughts flew back to the past night, so full of danger and discomfort. Also she began to remember that she was a waif of the storm, adrift upon a treacherous and unknown sea. "'What's that?' cried Dorothy, starting to her feet. "'Why, I've just laid an egg, that's all,' replied a small but sharp and distinct voice. And looking around her, the little girl discovered a yellow hen squatting in the opposite corner of the coop. "'Dear me!' she exclaimed in surprise. Have you been here all night, too?" "'Of course,' answered the hen, fluttering her wings and yawning. When the coop blew away from the ship I clung fast to this corner with claws and beak, for I knew if I fell into the water I'd surely be drowned. Indeed I nearly drowned as it was. With all that water washing over me, I never was so wet before in my life. Yes, agreed Dorothy. It was pretty wet for a time, I know. But do you feel comfortable now? Not very. The sun has helped dry my feathers, as it has your dress, and I feel better since I laid my morning egg. But what's to become of us I should like to know afloat on this big pond? I'd like to know that too, said Dorothy. But tell me, How does it happen that you are able to talk? I thought hens could only cluck and cackle. Why, as for that, answered the yellow hen thoughtfully, I have clucked and cackled all my life, and never spoken a word before this morning that I can remember. But when you asked a question a minute ago, it seemed the most natural thing in the world to answer you. So I spoke, and I seem to keep on speaking, just as you and other human beings do. Strange, isn't it? "'Very,' replied Dorothy. "'If we were in the land of Oz, I wouldn't think it so queer, because many of the animals can talk in that fairy country, but out here in the ocean must be a good long way from Oz.' "'How is my grammar?' asked the Yellow Hen, anxiously. "'Do I speak quite properly in your judgment?' "'Yes,' said Dorothy, "'you do very well for a beginner.' "'I'm glad to know that,' continued the Yellow Hen, in a confidential tone. "'Because if one is going to talk, it's best to talk correctly. "'The Red Rooster has often said that my cluck and my cackle were quite perfect, "'and now it's a comfort to know I am talking properly.' "'I'm beginning to get hungry,' remarked Dorothy. "'It's breakfast time, and there's no breakfast.' "'You may have my egg,' said the Yellow Hen. "'I don't care for it, you know.' "'Don't you want to hatch it?' asked the little girl in surprise. "'No, indeed. I never care to hatch eggs.' unless I've a nice snug nest in some quiet place, with a baker's dozen of eggs under me. That's thirteen, you know. And it's a lucky number for hens, so you may as well eat this egg.' "'Oh, I couldn't possibly eat it, unless it was cooked,' exclaimed Dorothy. "'But I'm much obliged for your kindness just the same.' "'Don't mention it, my dear,' answered the hen calmly, and began preening her feathers. For a moment Dorothy stood looking out, over the wide sea. She was still thinking of the egg, though, so presently she asked, "'Why do you lay eggs when you don't expect to hatch them?' "'It's a habit I have,' replied the yellow hen. "'It has always been my pride to lay a fresh egg every morning, except when I'm moulting. I never feel like having my morning cackle till the egg is properly laid, and without the chance to cackle I would not be happy.' "'It's strange,' said the girl reflectively. But, as I am not a hen, I can't be expected to understand that." "'Certainly not, my dear." Then Dorothy fell silent again. The yellow hen was some company and a bit of comfort, too, but it was dreadfully lonely out on the big ocean nevertheless. After a time the hen flew up and perched upon the topmost slat of the coop, which was a little above Dorothy's head, when she was sitting upon the bottom, as she had been doing for some moments past. "'Why, we are not far from land!' exclaimed the hen. "'Where, where is it?' cried Dorothy, jumping up in great excitement. "'Over there, a little way,' answered the hen, nodding her head in a certain direction. "'We seem to be drifting toward it, so that before noon we ought to find ourselves upon dry land again.' "'I shall like that,' said Dorothy, with a little sigh, for her feet and legs were still wetted now and then by the sea-water that came through the open slats. "'So shall I,' answered her companion. "'There is nothing in the world so miserable as a wet hen.' The land, which they seemed to be rapidly approaching, since it grew more distinct every minute, was quite beautiful, as viewed by the little girl in the floating hen-coop. Next to the water was a broad beach of white sand and gravel, and farther back were several rocky hills, while beyond these appeared a strip of green trees that marked the edge of a forest. But there were no houses to be seen, nor any sign of people who might inhabit this unknown land. "'I hope we shall find something to eat,' said Dorothy, looking eagerly at the pretty beach toward which they drifted. "'It's long past breakfast time now.' "'I am a trifle hungry myself,' declared the yellow hen. "'Why don't you eat the egg?' asked the child. "'You don't need to have your food cooked, as I do.' "'Do you take me for a cannibal?' Cried the hen indignantly. I do not know what I have said or done that leads you to insult me. I beg your pardon, I'm sure. Mrs. Mrs. By the way, may I inquire your name, ma'am? asked the little girl. My name is Bill, said the yellow hen somewhat gruffly. Bill? Why, that's a boy's name. What difference does that make? You're a lady hen, aren't you? Of course. But when I was first hatched out no one could tell whether I was going to be a hen or a rooster. So the little boy at the farm where I was born called me Bill and made a pet of me, because I was the only yellow chicken in the whole brood. When I grew up and he found that I didn't crow and fight as all the roosters do, he did not think to change my name, and every creature in the barnyard, as well as the people in the house, knew me as Bill. So, Bill, I've always been called, and Bill is my name." "'But it's all wrong, you know,' declared Dorothy earnestly. "'And if you don't mind, I shall call you Billina. Putting the Ina on the end makes it a girl's name, you see?' "'Oh, I don't mind in the least,' returned the yellow hen. "'It doesn't matter at all what you call me, so long as I know the name means me.' "'Very well, Billina. My name is Dorothy Gale.' Just Dorothy to my friends, and Miss Gale to strangers. You may call me Dorothy, if you like. We're getting very near the shore. Do you suppose it is too deep for me to wade the rest of the way? Wait a few minutes longer. The sunshine is warm and pleasant, and we are in no hurry." But my feet are all wet and soggy, said the girl. My dress is dry enough, but I won't feel real comfortable till I get my feet dried. She waited, however, as the hen advised, and before long the big wooden coop grated gently on the sandy beach, and the dangerous voyage was over. It did not take the castaways long to reach the shore, you may be sure. The yellow hen flew to the sands at once, but Dorothy had to climb over the high slats. Still for a country girl that was not much of a feat, and as soon as she was safe ashore Dorothy drew off her wet shoes and stockings and spread them upon the sun-warmed beach to dry. Then she sat down and watched Billina, who was pick-pecking away with her sharp bill in the sand and gravel, which she scratched up and turned over with her strong claws. "'What are you doing?' asked Dorothy. "'Getting my breakfast, of course,' murmured the hen, busily pecking away. "'What do you find?' inquired the girl curiously. "'Oh, some fat red ants and some sandbugs, and once in a while a tiny crab.' They are very sweet and nice, I assure you." "'How dreadful!' exclaimed Dorothy in a shocked voice. "'What is dreadful?' asked the hen, lifting her head to gaze with one bright eye at her companion. "'Why, eating live things, and horrid bugs, and crawly ants, you ought to be ashamed of yourself.' "'Goodness me!' returned the hen in a puzzled tone. "'How queer you are, Dorothy. Live things are much fresher and more wholesome than dead ones.' and you humans eat all sorts of dead creatures." "'We don't,' said Dorothy. "'You do indeed,' answered Billina. "'You eat lambs, and sheep, and cows, and pigs, and even chickens.' "'But we cook them, said Dorothy triumphantly. "'What difference does that make?' "'A good deal,' said the girl in a graver tone. "'I can't just explain the difference, but it's there. And anyhow we never eat such dreadful things as bugs.' But you eat the chickens that eat the bugs retorted the yellow hen with an odd cackle so you are just as bad as we chickens are this made dorothy thoughtful what billina said was true enough and it almost took away her appetite for breakfast as for the yellow hen she continued to peck away at the sand busily and seemed quite contented with her bill of fare finally down near the water's edge Billina stuck her bill deep into the sand, and then drew back and shivered. "'Ow!' she cried. "'I struck metal that time, and it nearly broke my beak.' "'It probably was a rock,' said Dorothy carelessly. "'Nonsense! I know a rock from metal, I guess,' said the hen. "'There's a different feel to it.' "'But there couldn't be any metal on this wild deserted seashore,' persisted the girl. "'Where's the place? I'll dig it up and prove to you I'm right.' Billina showed her the place where she had stubbed her bill, as she expressed it, and Dorothy dug away the sand until she felt something hard. Then, thrusting in her hand, she pulled the thing out and discovered it to be a large-sized golden key, rather old, but still bright and of perfect shape. "'What did I tell you?' cried the hen with a cackle of triumph. "'Can I tell metal when I bump into it, or is the thing a rock?' "'It's metal, sure enough.' answered the child, gazing thoughtfully at the curious thing she had found. I think it is pure gold, and it must have laid hidden in the sand for a long time. How do you suppose it came there, Billina? And what do you suppose this mysterious key unlocks?" I can't say, replied the hen. You ought to know more about locks and keys than I do. Dorothy glanced around. There was no sign of any house in that part of the country. And she reasoned that every key must fit a lock, and every lock must have a purpose. Perhaps the key had been lost by someone who lived far away, but had wandered on this very shore. Musing on these things, the girl put the key in the pocket of her dress, and then slowly drew on her shoes and stockings, which the sun had fully dried. I believe, Belina, she said, I'll have a look round, and see if I can find some breakfast. End of chapter 2 LETTERS IN THE SAND Walking a little way back from the water's edge, toward the grove of trees, Dorothy came to a flat stretch of white sand that seemed to have queer signs marked upon its surface, just as one would write upon sand with a stick. What does it say? she asked the yellow hen, who trotted along beside her in a rather dignified fashion. How should I know? returned the hen. I cannot read. Oh, can't you? "'Certainly not. I've never been to school, you know.' "'Well, I have,' admitted Dorothy. "'But the letters are big and far apart, and it's hard to spell out the words.' But she looked at each letter carefully, and finally discovered that these words were written in the sand. "'Beware the wheelers!' "'That's rather strange,' declared the hen, when Dorothy had read aloud the words. "'What do you suppose the wheelers are?' folks that wheel, I guess. They must have wheelbarrows, or baby-cabs, or hand-carts," said Dorothy. "'Perhaps they're automobiles,' suggested the Yellow Hen. "'There is no need to beware of baby-cabs and wheelbarrows. But automobiles are dangerous things. Several of my friends have been run over by them.' "'It can't be automobiles,' replied the girl, for this is a new wild country, without even trolley-cars or telephones. The people here haven't been discovered yet, I'm Uh, sure—that is, if there are any people. So I don't believe there can be any automobiles, Billina?"
0: "'Perhaps
1: not,' admitted the Yellow Hen. "'Where are you going now?' "'Over to those trees, to see if I can find some fruit, or nuts,' answered Dorothy." She tramped across the sand, skirting the foot of one of the little rocky hills that stood near, and soon reached the edge of the forest. At first she was greatly disappointed, because the nearer trees were all panita or cottonwood or eucalyptus, and bore no fruit or nuts at all. But by and by, when she was almost in despair, the little girl came upon two trees that promised to furnish her with plenty of food. One was quite full of square paper boxes, which grew in clusters on all the limbs and upon the biggest and ripest boxes the word LUNCH could be read in neat raised letters. The tree seemed to bear all the year round, for there were lunchbox blossoms on some of the branches, and on others tiny little lunchboxes that were as yet quite green and evidently not fit to eat until they had grown bigger. The leaves of this tree were all paper napkins and it presented a very pleasing appearance to the hungry little girl. But the tree next to the lunchbox tree was even more wonderful, for it bore quantities of tin dinner-pails, which were so full and heavy that the stout branches bent underneath their weight. Some were small and dark brown in color. Those larger were of a dull tin color, but the really ripe ones were pails of bright tin that shone and glistened beautifully in the rays of sunshine that touched them. Dorothy was delighted, and even the yellow hen acknowledged that she was surprised. The little girl stood on tiptoe and picked one of the nicest and biggest lunch boxes, and then she sat down upon the ground and eagerly opened it. Inside, she found nicely wrapped in white papers a ham sandwich a piece of sponge cake a pickle a slice of new cheese and an apple each thing had a separate stem and so had to be picked off the side of the box but dorothy found them all to be delicious and she ate every bit of luncheon in the box before she had finished A lunch isn't exactly breakfast," she said to Billina, who sat beside her curiously watching. But when one is hungry one can eat even supper in the morning and not complain. "'I hope your lunch-box was perfectly ripe,' observed the yellow hen, in an anxious tone. "'So much sickness is caused by eating green things.' "'Oh, I'm sure it was ripe,' declared Dorothy. "'All that is, except the pickle. And a pickle just has to be green, Billina but everything tasted perfectly splendid, and I'd rather have it than a church picnic. And now I think I'll pick a dinner pail to have when I get hungry again, and then we'll start out and explore the country and see where we are." "'Haven't you any idea what country this is?' inquired Melina. "'None at all, but listen. I'm quite sure it's a fairy country, or such things as lunch-boxes and dinner-pails wouldn't be growing upon trees. Besides, Billina, being a hen, you wouldn't be able to talk in any civilized country like Kansas, where no fairies live at all. Perhaps we're in the Land of Oz, said the hen thoughtfully. No, that can't be, answered the little girl, because I've been to the Land of Oz and it's all surrounded by a hard desert that no one can cross." "'Then how did you get away from there again?' asked Billina. "'I had a pair of silver shoes that carried me through the air, but I lost them,' said Dorothy. "'Ah, indeed,' remarked the Yellow Hen, in a tone of unbelief. "'Anyhow,' resumed the girl, "'there is no seashore near the Land of Oz, so this must surely be some other fairy country.' While she was speaking, she selected a bright and pretty dinner pail that seemed to have a stout handle, and picked it from its branch. Then accompanied by the Yellow Hen, she walked out of the shadow of the trees toward the seashore. They were way across the sands, when Billina suddenly cried in a voice of terror, "'What's that?' Dorothy turned quickly around, and saw, coming out of a path that led from between the trees, the most peculiar person her eyes had ever beheld. It had the form of a man, except that it walked, or rather rolled, upon all fours, and its legs were the same length as its arms, giving them the appearance of the four legs of a beast. Yet it was no beast that Dorothy had discovered. For the person was clothed most gorgeously in embroidered garments of many colors, and wore a straw hat perched jauntily upon the side of its head. But it differed from human beings in this respect, that instead of hands and feet there grew at the end of its arms and legs round wheels, and by means of these wheels it rolled very swiftly over the level ground. Afterward Dorothy found that these odd wheels were of the same hard substance that our fingernails and toenails are composed of, and she also learned that creatures of this strange race were born in this queer fashion. But when our little girl first caught sight of the first individual of a race that was destined to cause her a lot of trouble, she had an idea that the brilliantly clothed personage was on roller skates which were attached to his hands as well as to his feet. "'Run!' screamed the yellow hen, fluttering away in great fright. "'It's a wheeler!' "'A wheeler!' exclaimed Dorothy. "'What can that be?' "'Don't you remember the warning in the sand? Beware the wheelers! Run, I tell you, run!' So Dorothy ran, and the wheeler gave a sharp wild cry, and came after her in full chase. Looking over her shoulder as she ran, The girl now saw a great procession of wheelers emerging from the forest—dozens and dozens of them, all clad in splendid, tight-fitting garments, and all rolling swiftly toward her and uttering their wild, strange cries. "'They're sure to catch us,' panted the girl, who was still carrying the heavy dinner-pail she had picked. "'I can't run much farther, Billina. Climb up this hill, quick,' said the hen and Dorothy found she was very near to the heap of loose and jagged rocks they had passed on their way to the forest. The yellow hen was even now fluttering among the rocks, and Dorothy followed as best she could, half climbing and half tumbling up the rough and rugged steep. She was none too soon, for the foremost wheeler reached the hill a moment after her, but while the girl scrambled up the rocks, the creature stopped short with howls of rage and disappointment. Dorothy now heard the yellow hen laughing in her cackling henny way. "'Don't hurry, my dear,' cried Billina. "'They can't follow us among these rocks, so we're safe enough now.' Dorothy stopped at once and sat down upon a broad boulder, for she was all out of breath. The rest of the wheelers had now reached the foot of the hill. But it was evident that their wheels would not roll upon the rough and jagged rocks, and therefore they were helpless to follow Dorothy and the hen to where they had taken refuge. But they circled all around the little hill, so the child and Billina were fast prisoners, and could not come down without being captured. Then the creatures shook their front wheels at Dorothy in a threatening manner and it seemed they were able to speak as well as to make their dreadful outcries, for several of them shouted, "'We'll get you in time, never fear, and when we do get you we'll tear you into little bits.' "'Why are you so cruel to me?' asked Dorothy. "'I'm a stranger in your country, and have done you no harm.' "'No harm,' cried one who seemed to be their leader. "'Did you not pick our lunch-boxes and dinner-pails? Have you not a stolen dinner-pail still in your hand?' I only picked one of each," she answered. I was hungry, and I didn't know the trees were yours. That is no excuse," retorted the leader, who was clothed in a most gorgeous suit. It is the law here that whoever picks a dinner-pail without our permission must die immediately. Don't you believe him?" said Billina. I'm sure the trees do not belong to these awful creatures. They are fit for any mischief, and it's my opinion They would try to kill us just the same if you hadn't picked a dinner-pail. I think so, too, agreed Dorothy, but what shall we do now? Stay where we are, advised the Yellow Hen. We are safe from the wheelers until we starve to death, anyhow, and before that time comes a good many things can happen. End of chapter 3